Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's, oh, that was lame. Let's try that again. This time with gusto. Good morning. morning. There you go. Perfect. I I think some of you got the blues today because I look around, I see jerseys and you just like losing teams. Maybe that's, uh, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm wearing a Colts jersey. Okay. So I fit right into that. That's all right. That's all right. If you can't dig in a little bit, right? That's that's the fun of it. My name's Steve Cunningham. If, if you've not been here before, you're joining us online. Uh, I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse, and it's just a blessing. It really is. It's a blessing to serve alongside of so many of you week in and week out. Uh, we get to do so many great things together, like today, Super Bowl Sunday, where uh, you've been bringing in cans all morning, and those are all going to the Goodlessville Help Center. They help people uh, seven days a week in all kinds of uh, different ways, anything from helping pay bills uh, for families, putting them up when people have fires and and other kinds of things. They help feed people on a week-to-week basis. And so when we reached out to Jeff Cordell, who runs the Help Center, uh, about a month ago, he said, you know, we're really running low on uh, some canned goods. Is there anything that you guys could do? I was like, listen, if there's anything I know about Wellhouse is that we are wildly generous and we would love to be able to help out in our community. So thank you for that. Thank you for always uh, just being the kind of people who are willing to jump in and be generous in any way. So I appreciate that. Uh, That comes from by my heart. And I will say this, last week, uh, thank you to Leanne for joining me and uh, and speaking. And I, I really did appreciate that as well. As we wrapped up a series, we talked about this idea uh, of a care team, and uh, so those of you who were here last week, you know who's on the care team, right? Everybody's on the care team, that's right, everybody's on the care team, uh, because that's what a church is, right? We learned last week that uh, that we're a part of a body, that you are a part of the body, and you're a part of the body, and you're a part of, everybody's a part of the body of Christ, and as a part of the body of Christ, we learn that we care for one another. That's what God created us to do, right? To worship him and to love each other, right? And we care for one another, and so that's an important thing. And let me tell you something. Over the last week, I've been so incredibly encouraged, so incredibly encouraged. Uh, over the last week, let me just tell, I'm not going to go through everything. Uh, so if you reached out to us and you're like, hey, I said something and I didn't mention it. I'm just saying that I'm just going to go over a couple of things that people said, hey, listen, I feel like God's calling me into this and I'd love to figure out how to do that here at Wellhouse. So we had people who, who reached out and said, listen, I've been through trauma in my life and I would love to start a trauma support group for people who've gone through trauma. Wonderful. That's great. Uh, there are people who reached out and said, listen, we know how to make pies, and we would love to have a pie ministry where when people are going through something, then uh, we just bring them a pie. Or they're new, we just bring them a pie. And I was like, can I be new and going through something? Because <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, we had people reach out and say, listen, I, I, I don't know what my gifting necessarily is, but I, I can shoulder tap. If you ever need somebody who's like shoulder tap or, or when somebody's going through grief, like, could, could we reach out? Absolutely. That's wonderful. We have a group of people who are like, you know what, when, when there's a new mama uh, with a baby or somebody, you know, they went in the hospital and they need, like, maybe they just can't get around to clean the house or whatever it is. We, we would love to go in and do that for them. And I'm like, I need to have another kid. You know, I mean, it's wonder. <laughs> My wife's like, no. Not with me, you're not. Um, yeah. 
Where was I going? Let's pray. We'll just... Sometimes you get a microphone, you start talking, and you don't know what's coming out. You've been there before. Um, uh, we had people who said, listen, I'd love to coordinate um, events for people who are going through various things, uh, whether they've had a new baby or a health situation or fire, whatever it is, whatever traumatic event, just to coordinate and help support. Um, and, and we had other people say, we, I'd love to just help plan events, whatever events you have. And so I say that to say, man, number one, thank you for, for doing what we asked last week. Because we said, pray about it. We said, be open. We talked about this idea of just keeping your eyes open to the things that God is going to show you that he may not show anybody else and say, all right, here's where you need to have compassion. Here's where you need to serve. And your eyes are open and you just jump in and then contacting us. But here's the thing. If you haven't done that yet, that's okay. You still have plenty of time because everybody's on the care team, right? So it doesn't matter when or what, but we want you to be able to use the gift that God has given you to help uh, serve here at Wellhouse. We believe that that's a huge thing. So I just wanted to say that was a huge encouragement for me today, and I pray that that's a huge encouragement for you as well. It maybe gives you some ideas uh, on the ways that, that God is calling you into that. If you have your Bible today, open up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to get started there. We're starting a new series called Enough. We're going through the book of Colossians together. It's going to be a little bit different. Normally, we'll kind of pick a topic and we'll kind of walk through that. But over the next four weeks, we're going to go through the four chapters of Colossians. Uh, Jason mentioned this morning that we're going to go through first Colossians. Uh, and it's actually the only Colossians there is. So he's right. Um, he is right about that. We will not be going through second Colossians. It doesn't exist. Um, first Colossians. Uh, but before... <laughs> Colossians 1. He was just getting the first part uh, underway there. So uh, before we start in that, though, as you're scrolling open to Colossians uh, 1 or flipping over there and finding that, I want to start by telling you a story that happens in the Bible. It happens in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, Jesus is talking to his closest people. We call those people disciples. And he gathers them around and he asks them a question. And the question goes something like this. Who do people say that I am? Now this comes off of the heels of the last uh, sermon series, right? This question of who am I? And so he asks, who do people say that I am? And his disciples respond, well, some people say you're John the Baptist, who is kind of this prophet. And others say Elijah and still other, one of the other prophets. So they're saying, all right, we recognize you as a teacher. We recognize you as somebody different. And then he asked them a question, well, who do, you, who do you say that I am? Not everybody else. Who do you say that I am? And do you remember one of the, the 12 responds, well, you're the Messiah. You're the one who was to come. We believe you are God's son. And that's huge. And in fact, what Jesus says is, on that truth, on that statement, on that recognition of who I am, I will build the church, and even the gates of hell can't overcome it. And that's the beautiful thing about 
the church is that it's not built on me. It's not built on our leadership. It's not built on the wonderful, amazing, great things we might be able to do or not do. It's built on the truth that Jesus is who he says he was. And that's beautiful. But we have to come back to this question of who do you say that I am because, here's the thing, that's one of the most important questions you can wrestle with, is who do you say that Jesus is really? Now, I think for most people in the world today, they, that, well, maybe, maybe not most, maybe, maybe half of the population would say, you know, I believe that there is a God. I don't really know about Jesus. He's got some kind of far out ideas, but some of them are pretty good. Or maybe I recognize him as a rabbi, a teacher, or maybe even I claim him as the son of God. But what impact does that have truly in our life if we really claim that he is who he says he was? For Paul, this is really important. In fact, this is kind of the bedrock of how he begins to write to the churches. As he begins to write to churches he visited and even kind of helped start, and to those that he didn't, which uh, this falls in line with the, the letter of Colossians, is there's a group of people that he never even met before. Has never been there before. He's never laid eyes on them. He's never, they've never heard him talk he, write, he reaches out to them because he has a bedrock of who he thinks Jesus is really. And it shapes everything he does. It shapes every way that he begins to correspond with them. And here at the very beginning, as we begin to open up and read through this letter together, it's really important to understand the context of what's happening. See, at the time that Paul is writing the church in Colossae, right, which is the, the letter to the Colossians, that's where they live in Colossae, that as he's writing them, he's actually writing them in prison. This is, this is what's happening to him at the time. So as we begin to open up and look at the letter for the next four weeks together, I want you, every time we read, I want you to go back and imagine what you might be writing if you are going through some of the hardest times in your life, figuring that it may lead to your demise. Right? It's not just a tough season. It's just a lot like, well, you know, I've kind of been struggling with getting out of a funk. Right, that, that Paul is going through something that he pretty sure believes that he's not going to see the light of day. He's seen other people die for their faith, and it's out of this place that he's writing the church in Colossae. He's also writing a group of people who are highly influenced by the culture around them. And some of that culture is a religious elite. That they have a, a, uh, a long history. The Jews had a long history with worshiping God. And so there's people who keep coming back and saying, hey, listen, don't forget the old law. Don't, don't forget the things that you were taught all, all along. Right? Don't throw that out. It seems like you're trying to grab a hold of this Jesus is enough, but that's not true. Remember, we have, we have tons of laws that God gave us, and so we got to follow those. In addition, they're also being infiltrated from the culture around them and the Greeks who are saying, listen, there's not just one God, there's a lot of gods, and if you don't appease them all, then we suffer. And so Paul has to address the church there, and he does so like this in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, 
and Timothy. Our brother Timothy was somebody who traveled with Paul and, and who helped churches with Paul. And he says this, To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray about you. Because we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up uh, uh, for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us about your love in the Spirit. Epaphras is, is the guy who kind of helped start the church there in Colossae. He's the guy who's kind of been uh, corresponding back and forth with Paul and letting them know what's going on in the church. He says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. I don't know about that. I don't know about you, but man, that's really convicting for me. As I think about some of the hardest times in my life, some of the things that, that, uh, that go in my life, and, and those things can pull us into a selfish nature. Have you ever found that before? It's like you're going through a hard time, and it's just hard to see outside of that. And here is Paul, who's going through a really tough time, sitting in prison, and he's saying, listen, you know what? You know what's on my heart? You. You know what my prayers are for? Well, they're for you. We continually ask God, I love this, if you have a highlighter, underline, uh, whatever you want to do, I, I would encourage you to highlight. If you have children, if you have children, make this a part of the normal way you pray for them. This is huge. Listen to this. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. What if that was your prayer over your kids? Man, I just pray that you are filled with the knowledge of God and the understanding that the Spirit gives so that in everything you do, you just please God. That's my prayer for you, that you're filled up with knowledge and you're filled up with the Spirit so everywhere you go, you just understand God's will. Wouldn't that change the way that you lived your life? And what if you prayed that over other people as a blessing for them? Man, I just pray that you're filled with knowledge and wisdom. So that in every situation, man, it's just, it's just God's will that's coming out of you. This is what Paul is writing to a group of people while he's sitting in prison. Bearing fruit on every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have a great endurance and patience. Isn't that amazing that this is coming from him? He's saying, you know what? You know how I see life working out? When I, when I truly look as God as enough, when I recognize this statement of who is Jesus really, and then I wrestle with that, I wrestle that thought to the ground, and then I say, all right, he is enough, 
and he's Lord of all, then when I secure myself in that, then I'm not bothered by the temporary things of life. They may hurt. Grief is real. Things suck. That's just true, right? Amen? Things suck for you. They suck for me sometimes too. But when we really bear down and we understand what the gospel is all about and, and who we are in Christ, then those things seem like temporary things. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, listen, when, when we really understand who Christ it, uh, is, then the rest of the stuff, we're just, pr we're just praying that God gives us enough endurance and patience to get through it because we know that there's something bigger in store for us. Verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. This foundation that we have as Jesus and Jesus being enough really begins to shape the way that we pray. In fact, your foundation will shape how and what you pray about. I will tell you that for most of my life, if I'm just being really flat out honest with you, prayer is, I would not have ever considered myself a prayer warrior. I know people like that, and I appreciate people like that, but it's taken me a really long time to, to, for that to be the place that I turn to first. But it also has taken me a really long time to come to the understanding of, of what it means just to trust God in prayer. Right, that God isn't this like laundry list of things to say like, all right, you know, uh, we need to pray for the knee ache and we need to pray for the health thing. And we, you know, we have this kind of laundry list of things that we want God to fix along the way. That doesn't look like Paul's list of things to pray for though, does it? I mean, I'm sure if we were like going to ask Paul, like, what's your prayer, uh, prayer life look like, Paul, in prison, we would think we might hear, help me get out soon. We might think, all right, let, like, give me your prayer list from your church, right? Aren't there people who are in need and I can kind of pray for them specifically? That's not what Paul was praying about. See, Paul's prayer was founded in something so much deeper, so much richer. And, and let, me, let me help you understand this. It's not wrong to pray about those things. God wants to hear our heart and, and all of those things. But I think when we truly understand that Jesus is enough, then that's what we pray for. That God, help me seek you in everything. Whether life is going well or life is in the pits, whether I can make sense out of things or I can't make sense out of anything, God, help me understand what your will is and help me to be patient through it all so that I can seek you through everything, no matter what comes my way. This is the message that Paul gives but he's not done he continues on here uh in verse 13 sorry 15 the son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation chris read this a little bit ago for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. All things have been created through him and for him. Two things here. Your foundation will remind you of your identity. I, I think it's interesting as we kind of look around today, you could probably identify maybe a sport that a certain person is into or no sport that anybody's into, right? That's okay. Or maybe a particular team that somebody's into or maybe a particular era, uh, era of team that somebody's into, right? We kind of get our identity through that. For some of us, that identity comes through a job, right? And then, then we don't have that job anymore, and it feels like something's missing. And throughout life, you've probably gone through some identity crises before, right? At some point, you were single, then you were married. You're trying to figure out how it is to be a married life. And then all of a sudden, you have children. Maybe, maybe you start to go through, all right, now what does this look like? Because we used to go out and have fun. <laughs> That doesn't look the same. You ha your fun is different, right? And then you don't have kids anymore, and you're like, now what do we do? How, do? how do we have fun now, right? And who are we, and who are you? And how are we as married people, right? All through life, we wrestle with identity problems. But when your foundation is in Christ, it will remind you of your identity, Verse 14, remember it says, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's our identity. I really don't care what you did last night. What I know is you have redemption and forgiveness in Christ. And that's a truth. If you're in Christ, you are his child. I know that true. See, we like to put labels on things, but a long time ago, before you were even born, before you had your, the, the, the first rebellious sin streak in you, God loved you so much that he was willing to send his one and only son to die for you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You don't have to be enough. He is. You got that, church? I love that. Because I think we need to hear that message over and over again, don't we? See, it's not about you. Your identity isn't in you. It's in If you're in Christ, your identity is in Christ. And don't forget that. See, if you really answer the question, who is Jesus really, and you answer with that, that, that he is truly the Son of God, then you don't have to worry about your identity anymore. It's in him. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. The second thing here is that your foundation will answer these important questions. Why am I here? And does my life have value? Why am I here? And does my life have value? And here's the thing. I love this. Did you catch this a minute ago? And he says this. All things have been created through him and for him. What are you created for? For him. What are you created for? Well, I'm created for him. That's my purpose in life. 
Wherever I go, whatever job I have, whatever interaction I have, however many people are in my family or not in my family, whatever, whatever responsibilities I have, I go knowing that I was created for him. I'm his ambassador wherever I go and whatever I do. And so that shapes the way that I interact with people. It shapes the way I do my job. Even there, there are days where maybe you're thinking, like, I hate my job. I want to get out of here. This is no good. You're still Christ's ambassador wherever you go because you were created for him, not for that. So this is huge. It begins to shape the way that we live. But also we recognize that your life has value because it was created through him. Interesting, isn't it? It was created through him. You remember all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So he created him that way. You are created in the likeness of a father who loves you. That's your value. You, you, in fact, your value goes way beyond that, that. As we mentioned before, God loved you so much that he sent his very best for your very worst. That's your value. But Paul's not done writing to this group of believers. I imagine it was probably a number not even quite as big as what we have here. And they're struggling with inside forces, and they're struggling with outside forces, and they're, they're trying to serve God the best they know how, but they're recognizing they don't get it right all the time. And so as Paul writes them and he encourages them and he motivates them and he prays over them and he reminds them who their identity is in and he reminds them what their value is, he concludes chapter 1 like this, verse 17. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. I don't know about you, but man, that's a weight off my shoulders. Have you ever, you don't even have to raise your hand, okay? Have you ever felt like you had to hold everything together? <laughs> Just me. Some of y'all are like, man, that, that's the truest thing I've heard this man say in a year and a half. He finally started his sermon today. You know, um, there are times, can I be honest with y'all for a minute? Is that all right? As long as you don't tell anybody else, all right? Here we go. Those of you who are online, I'm holding you to it. There are times where Satan will work on me to have me believe that it's my responsibility to hold a church all together. It's true. I'm just being honest. That's not my job. In fact, I can't do that. See, it's God who holds all things together. If you're in a marriage and it's struggling, it's God, right? It's the foundation who holds it all together. If your family is kind of suffering, it's God who holds it all together. And you apply that to every piece of your life. 
Because I'm telling you, there's so many times we're tempted to, man, if I could just, if I could just control this thing, if I could just uh, kind of rein this thing in, and the more you try to grab, the harder it just, it winds up slipping through your fingers, and you get frustrated, and you get downcast, and you get discouraged, and you get anxious, and that's because you were never meant to hold it all together in the beginning. You have a God who says, listen, I got it. You seek me. And in your seeking me, I hold it all together. Verse 18, keep following with me. And he is the head of the body, he meaning Christ, the church. That's what we're talking about, right? So Paul makes it clear. We've been talking about the body of the church together. He's the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy, that he's over everything. For God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile himself to all things. What does he want to do? Reconcile himself to what? All things. Even the bad, even the ugly, even the sinful. All things. Even the rotten, the scoundrels, the scallywag, all things. You don't hear scallywags too often, do you? Sometimes it makes me wonder what goes through my brain. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently I was a pirate at some point and didn't even know it. Uh, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, that was his plan all along. He said, you know, the only way that we're going to have peace is if I take supremacy over death. And I take that on for you. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. See, the foundation of answering the question, who is Jesus really, will remind you where your strength, stability, and saving comes from. Band, if you want to come on up as we close out our thoughts together. I wonder this week where you thought your strength came from. It, you, did you find yourself at all like just emotionally, mentally, spiritually kind of weary and you're like, what do I need to do? Well, it comes from Jesus. Have you wrestled with, I, I just don't know the uncertainty of what's going to happen next and what, what the next thing is going to be in my life. Do you wonder where your stability comes from? It, well, it comes from Jesus. And for those of us maybe who were raised in the church long ago and we were like, oh man, how, do I, how, how am I saved? How many things do I have to do? Am I doing it all right? And Maybe I'm not doing it right. I just have feel guilty about that. I want you to know that your saving comes through Jesus. And it is my prayer for you, as Paul prayed over the church, that you would grow in your understanding and knowledge of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and his work in you, so that in everything you do, you continue to grow more like Christ in this earth by recognizing that he's enough, that you don't have to hold it all together, that you don't have to be perfect that you can stumble and God still loves you and he knows your path. I don't know what your life looks like, what's been going on for you, but maybe the past week or 
the past month or the past year has been difficult. And maybe in those areas of stability or saving or strength, it's been brutal. And so if that's you, then today, this blessing is for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and be transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who's unparalleled and unchanging, who's matchless and merciful, who's supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.